Hi, this is Annalise Lapata, the Assistant Worship Leader of New Life Church. We hope this message propels you to know God more deeply and encourages you to be the hands and feet of Jesus wherever you go. Enjoy the message. I am so excited about this series that's, that we're starting this, this week. This is a longer series, uh, not quite as long, but it's longer. It's six weeks, six-week series on the books of First and Second Thessalonians. And I'll let you in on a little secret. I, I plan my series. I know I don't write them out all that, but I plan my series about three to six months in advance. And this series just happened to be here. And it just happened to correspond with all that's going on over in the Middle East right now. Um, and this particular series is going to talk a lot about the end times, what we should look for, um, and how we should live in light of uncertain times. Uh, I, 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 hope, I hope that you guys are taking time in your regular to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, we want peace over there. We want, uh, that's the, the, the church is supposed to be vigilant and praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Um, it's a messy situation. And I know a lot of pundits are kind of hedging on their support for Israel because of the, some of the stuff that they did. And I'm not condoning everything, but I just wanted, I want, I want peace. I want peace. The Jewish people in Israel the majority of them are secular Jews. They're not, they're not uh, uh, religious Jews. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. The Palestinians, guess what? They need Jesus. One thing, there's two things we, uh, we can't do. We can't hate people. We can't hate them. And we can't not tell them about Jesus. Okay? We, we, we can't compromise the truth of the word of God, but we can't hate people. You understand me? So when we look at these things and people are taking sides, my side is the kingdom of God. And I will not compromise that. So, <clears throat> so we need to be about our Father's work. Compassionately loving people and praying for the peace of Jerusalem. All right, I'm going to give you a synopsis of this entire series real quick. If you saw me on Facebook the other day uh, promoting this series, you probably heard this, but this is what we're going to say, okay? In a world filled with death, war, and evil, how are we to face what feels like an unknowable, an un an unknowable future? What do we do with our anxiety regarding days ahead? In 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Paul provides comfort and reassurance to those living in uncertain times. These letters discuss the future of Christ's second coming and what believers should do while awaiting his return. Paul encourages believers to be prepared, to cling to the truth of what they have been taught, and to live responsibly in light of the future. My goal in this series is that you will take these words to heart so that you can face the future. Listen to this. Face the future without fear. Okay? So let me read the introduction to this because that, that was the big idea for the series. But I want to, Paul is very excited to write this letter. 
He's excited. Why is he excited? Because he loves the people of Thessalonica. They're like, they're like his favorite. You know, you're not supposed to have a favorite kid. Everybody does. Everybody has a favorite kid. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not, I don't have a favorite kid. This was, this, this was Paul's favorite kid right now. Okay? He loved them. They, they were so good to him. They were so awesome to him. They, they, they grabbed onto the word. So he spends a lot of time in the preamble to this book just saying, I love you guys. You guys are awesome. I miss you. I want to come back. You guys, you guys have been doing great. You make me feel good to see how well you've done in such a short time. You guys are just, you guys are awesome. And he does that for about three chapters. And I love it. I mean, Paul, all, a lot of the other epistles are like, you guys stink. What are you doing? It's not at all what I said. Are you, are you dense? Come on back. Come on. Come on back. But not Thessalonica. Uh, Thessalonica. They, were, they were nailing it. They were hitting the ball out of the park. So Paul is excited. You can feel it in his in his words, he's just like exuberant about writing this letter. So Paul and Silas, along with Timothy, Timothy arrived in Thessalonica in about AD 50 on Paul's second missionary journey. So if you open up to Acts chapter 17, um, this is the narrative around what happens when Paul enters this city. This is after the Macedonian call. He gets called from Asia to Europe, and he, he, he obeys the call. He goes over there. He goes to Philippi, and then he goes to Thessalonica, which is just north of Greece. I should have had a map. I love maps. I should have had a map. Anyway, it's just north of Greece, um, and uh, it's, it's right on the, the border between Asia and Europe. Okay, so Acts chapter 17, verse 10 says this. Now, when they pass through... Amphipolis, I'm trying to say that right, Napoleon, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Now, Paul does something he, he always does. And Paul went in, as was his custom. And on the three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to raise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Now, Christ is another word for Messiah. Okay, so the Jews would have understood this as he, he is the Messiah. Yes, he died, but he is the Messiah, and he's not dead anymore. He ra- he's raised from the dead. So Paul is reasoning with them. Now, we have a different approach towards our Sabbath days. We come in. We kind of get presented to as people. Okay? This was not the way in the synagogues. They would read a passage of Scripture. They would bring it out. They would read the passage. And then they would just debate. It was like debate club. That's what the early church was like. It was like debate club. They would, they would throw some Scriptures out there. They, no, that's not what they did. But they would read some very respectful Scriptures. And then they would just talk about it, and they would debate. So Paul is reasoning with the people based on certain scriptures. And they're asking him questions. He's answering them. They're debating with him. He's going back. He's saying, this is the Messiah. This Jesus that was crucified, I know that seems weird to you people, but he was the Messiah. He had to go through these things. And he's showing them in Isaiah. He's showing them through the Old Testament the truth about this Jesus. 
Okay? So verse, uh, verse 4. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading ladies. I love that. It's so funny he puts that in there. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of, from the, of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, who, where Paul was staying, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men have turned the world upside down and have come here also. What a testimony. What a testimony. This is Paul's second missionary journey. And he's just come across, just come to uh, the, the Macedonia. He just came across, left Asia, and, I, and they're already knowing what's going on. They're like, these people, they come to a town, and they just turn it upside down. Man, would that, would that be our testimony? Wouldn't it be awesome to be persecuted because you're turning the world upside down for Christ? That's what I want. That's what I want. That's what makes us leave a little a mini, a miniature church building and come to a weird mall. I'm telling you, that's the only reason. You do it because you want to turn the world upside down for Christ. That's why you do it. I want that to be part of our legacy as the church continues. And Jason has received them. This Jason has brought these crazy people into the town. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. Now, excuse me, why are they disturbed? The reason being, because anything that disturbs the Pax Romana is dangerous for city officials. They're like, whoa, we don't want Rome to hear about this. We'll just deal with this, okay? Because Rome will just come in and kill everybody. When they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let him go. They let him go out on bail, basically. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. So that's the narrative behind Paul's journey to Thessalonica. Now, Paul was incredibly distressed by this. He did not want to leave. He, he did not want to go. He was adamant about staying, and they said, you got you to go. you got to go. It's not safe for you here. Um, this was a newly formed church, and he just didn't want to leave them to the wolves, so to speak. Okay. When he could stand it no longer, he sent Timothy from Athens. So Paul goes uh, from Thessalonica, which is in the north, down to Athens eventually. And when he just, he's, his mind just keeps coming back to these people that he loves so much, that were so good to him, and who received the, the message so purely. So he sends Timothy from Athens back to comfort them in the midst of their persecution. So that was just the beginning. Paul and Silas jetted, but the persecution of that new church is continuing. <clears throat> Timothy later joins Paul in Corinth and gave him an encouraging report about the progress in their faith. Paul was delighted and wrote his first epistle to them from Corinth during his second missionary journey in about A.D. 51. All right, so that's, that's what we got. The book of 1 Thessalonians is one of Paul's most positive and hopeful letters. He spends much of the three chapters, we talked about it 
talking about how much he loves these people. He's just having like a love fest in the first three chapters with the Thessalonians. He is proud of them for staying faithful to the gospel even under persecution by the Jews and for being an example to the rest of the region of how to endure and persevere in the faith without compromise. See, it's so easy to, to slough off persecution if you're willing to do certain things. If you're willing to compromise the message of Christ, if you're willing to just bend a little bit, you know, to the cultural pressures, eh, you can get rid of persecution pretty quick. But if you stay faithful, that persecution is not only going to remain, it could intensify. So chapter 3 is all about Paul's anxiety for the church and how he couldn't stand not knowing how they were doing. So he sent Timothy to them so that they could, so that Timothy could encourage them. And what happens? <clears throat> they encourage Timothy. Timothy's like, I want to come here. I know you. They're like, good, man. How are you doing? <clears throat> How's our buddy Paul doing? We, we want to bless you guys. We're okay. We're doing great. And then Paul, Timothy comes back to Paul and asks him. He's like, they're good. He's like, really? He's like, yeah, they're, they're really good. So this is the response to that report from Timothy. So open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. There's not going to be a lot on the wall today. Okay, there's not going to be a lot on the wall. A lot of it's going to be you just trying to find it in your Bible. Either you use your thumb on your app or turn those onion pages. That's what I like to hear, by the way. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we're going to, start, we're going to, we're going to end chapter 3 uh, by talking about this prayer he has for them. Verse 11, it says this. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. I want to get back to you so bad. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. May, you make, uh, may he make your hearts bl- uh, blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. So now the sermon starts. You guys ready for this? I have been away a little bit, so buckle up. We're going to be here until about four. <laughs> today's, the title of today's message is this. Enlightened living. Enlightened living. And the big idea is this. We can live with confidence in the present when we are biblically informed about the future. We can live confidently. We can, have, we can live with confidence in the present when we are biblically informed about the future. All right. So let's talk about, let's break that, that down into two pieces. We want to go, we can live with confidence. Let's start, let's just start right there. Okay, living with confidence in our present. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Are you ready? Ready to dig in? Here we go. We're going to read through 12. It says this. This is after the prayer, after the, 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 the prayer at the end of chapter 3, it says this. Additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us on how you should live to please God. Live 
to please God as you are doing. That part, live to please God, remember that. As you are doing. Do this even more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. How many people have ever said, I just wish I knew what the will of God was for me? Now you know. You don't have to ask that question anymore. It's your sanctification. Sanctification is the pro- progress, progression of living for God more and more and even more. Being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Okay? So that's what God wants for you, sanctification. And then he, and then he, 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 he zeroes in on one area that he wants to really talk about because obviously just being there, he knows this is an issue. Here we go. That you keep away from sexual immorality. That each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who, do, who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses, as we also previously told you and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man. It's like, you're not, you're not hurting me when you reject this. He says, you're hurting God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Then he goes on to say, oh, I want to make sure we don't go too far. All right, let's just stop there for a second. I want to talk about this concept of, for this is God's will, your sanctification. Okay? And then he really picks on this, this morality issue here. Because you have to understand, the people of Thessalonica were living in a very decadent society. They were living in a society much like ours. Why is that? Because humans don't change. Just our tech does. Sin doesn't change. It's been the same thing since the foundation of the world, since that first bite of the apple, or whatever that fruit was. It's the same thing. It just takes on different modes depending on the the millennia that you live in. It's the same thing. We live in a very decadent, immoral society, just like these guys did. All right? This is sanctification. Day by day, week by week, year by year, doing what? Living to please God. Paul references sexual immorality immorality, or uh, sensual love, this concept of sensual love, probably because it was uh, it is like, like it's now. We're, we're, we are inundated with this concept of sensual love. Okay? So let me just make this statement very clear to you today without any additional fluff words. Sexual immorality of any kind is not okay. Let that, let that umbrella sit, lay on you for a second. It's not okay. Never in Scripture does Paul 
or Jesus or the prophets or anybody say there is a, a, uh, a way to wiggle out of that. It's not okay. It's not okay. Okay? So what does that even mean? Well, one of the biggest things that's plaguing our, our culture today <clears throat> is the access to pornography. Wow, Pastor, that's... What does it say? What, is, what, did, what did Paul say? He said, don't, um, I want to read it. Um, oh, I want to read it right. Okay, it says this in verse 6. This means one must not transgress against or take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner. That's what pornography is. It's taking advantage of somebody. It's, well, they, they signed up for it. I don't care. I don't care. It's exploitation. It's taking advantage. It's going where the scriptures say, do not go. We have gotten very lax in our current church about things pertaining to immorality. And it's not good. Paul would not like that. Maybe his letter to us would not be as glowing. Let that sink in. Okay? All right. Any type of sexual sin is not okay. So what is sanctification? Sanctification is taking the sinful inclinations of the heart, the sinful activities that we once walked in before we knew God, and putting them under submission to the will and standards of God. Paul spikes this one area out, but he could have spiked any sin out, any sin that is something that humans struggle with and say, <clears throat> it's not okay. That's how, you, that's, that's how you used to live in your ignorance. And you know what? Can't really blame people for doing stuff that they didn't know they shouldn't do. Eh. But, now that you're in Christ, now that you have the Holy, he says, now that you have the Holy Spirit living in you, it's not okay. Sanctification is recognizing over time. Listen, when you get saved, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be great if when you got saved, every sinful desire just left your body? You forgot everything that you ever did wrong. It was just gone. It's not what happens. It's not what happens. If that was the case, we wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given to us for the power to live a godly life. And you're not going to be perfect. Pastors preaching uh, legalism from the pulpit. You're going to be perfect to get to heaven. It's not what I'm preaching. I'm saying sanctification is this process of dealing with these things and putting them under the blood and saying, this is not okay, recognizing it, and changing, and being more like Jesus every single day. And when you fail, you're going to hell. No! When you fail, you say, you know what? I was wrong. I got off track this way. I realized it. I'm going to turn around, come back to where I was, and get on the right track. Fancy word for that is Repentance. Just be humble. Repent. Say, I'm sorry. I didn't, I shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have done that. 
and get back on track. That's sanctification. Okay? This is not once and done thing. It's a process, a practice, a priority. We put the things of Christ above our own sinful desires. It is denying our flesh and being raised to glorious new life. Don't stop living to please God. Paul goes on to praise them for their example to believers, that, uh, the brothers that he loves, right? And, and, and excuse me, their brotherly love. So he, he talks against sensual love, and in the next section he talks about he praises their brotherly love. So let's read it, verse 9. About, about brotherly love, you don't need me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. He's like, you guys are really good at this. In fact, you are doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. He's like, you have taken this outside the walls. You are, you are being an example of what it looks like for the church to be loving even outside of your own town. You are being an example of what it looks like. Keep on doing it. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, do this even more to seek to lead a quiet life. Then he goes into, and I think this is very important for us today to read. Because we have this weird, like, Christian activism in our culture today. We've got to be careful that we don't start using the weapons of the enemy and, 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 and trying to bend them to our will. What does, he want us, what does he want the Thessalonians to do? He says, seek to lead a quiet life. He didn't say, you know those people who are persecuting you? You should sue them. If they, get a, if they bring a stick, you bring a gun. Well, guns weren't invented. But anyway, he's not telling them to be activistic. He's saying, seek to live a quiet life. Now, People are pastor, we have to say, no, 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 don't, don't get me wrong. There are some things that we just can't compromise on. But we've got to use the weapons of our warfare, not the enemies. It never works out well. Okay? So seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we command you, so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone or beholden to anyone. What did, what did Jesus say? Let's go back to it for a second. They will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. That is how you turn the world upside down. That's how you do it. That's all that they did. Paul would go into a town, he'd go to the synagogue, he'd reason with them, and people would get saved, and they would just start taking care of each other and loving one another, and people would go, that's cool, I like that, let me get involved in that, what are you guys talking about? And then they would talk to other people, and they would get part of the church, and they would spread. That's, 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 how, they turn, that's how they turn the world upside down. So love one another. Lead quiet lives. Mind your business. Work hard. And don't be beholden to anyone. So that's the first part. 
That's the, put the uh, big idea back up. That's the, we can live with confidence in the present. And now let's get to the when. Because how do I live in confidence? This is how we are supposed to live in the, in the present. We're supposed to be continuing towards living for God. We're supposed to be, continue to be sanctified. In our, and we're supposed to love each other. Just like the Thessalonians are being uh, praised for. That's what we're supposed to be doing in this present time. In the present but how do we live without fear? Because they are getting persecuted, right? So let's continue. See, this passage, is, and we, the next, next section, we use this a lot for funerals. But this is not just for funerals. This is, a, this is an information that you need right now so that you can live the rest of your life before you get six feet under in a way that's less fearful than, it is, than you are today. Ready? Here we go. First Thessalonians, first Thessalonians. I can't say that word. Ugh. Four, starting in verse 13. It says this. We do not want you to be uninformed. That's nice. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by the word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the triumph, uh, the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul does not want you to be uninformed. He's like, I understand there's a little bit of anxiety about people who are, who are uh, passing away, who are falling asleep. Now, why does he use the word fall asleep? Now, that's, a, that's an interesting word. It's a word, uh, if you break it down, it's the word ton kimanon. <laughs> ton kimamanon. Can you say that? Ton kimamanon? Come on, try it. It's fun. Yeah, very good. Very good. Be good Greek. Um, I had to have like the like, pronunciation written out because I. And it's an expression chosen in lieu of the dead. It's because of the temporary nature of the Christian experience in the grave. He's like, you, you got to understand that this is not. You know, we don't grieve at those as like those who have no hope, because these. People are just sleeping. And they're, don't worry about them. They're going to be okay because, trust me, they're going, to be, they're going to go before what we do. Now, Paul had every anticipation that he would see the return of, of Christ. <clears throat> I do not believe for one iota that Paul had 2,000 years in his mind. The brevity of the situation was like, you know, we, we guys who live to this, we're going to be second. 
the ones who go to heaven first are going to be. But let me tell you, I'll help you understand this, folks. They're okay. This life is less important than you're making it out to be. We hold on so tightly to this world. He's like, you got to die to this thing. You need to die to this world before you die. It's not that important. It's great. God gave it to you. Enjoy it. Uh, do, walk in it. But don't hold so tightly to it. <clears throat> I was talking to my kids the other day. I don't know why. It was kind of a morbid conversation. But I said, guys, you know that something, if something ever happens to dad, like, I'm good. Like, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to be with, with, with the Lord. I'm like, you, you're welcome to be sad. You better be. But I'm going to be good. That's the hope we have in Christ, right? We don't, we don't worry about that. We don't, we don't live for this life. We're living for the next. We live in this life, and we maximize the time we have here by being sanctified, by living for the Lord, and, 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 and loving people so that they come to know the, the hope that we have in Christ. But we don't, this is not our home. The Bible calls us, we're like pilgrims strangers walking through a land that's not our own. This is the only, only, I say it again, the only message that Jesus brought. Fact check me. Be a Berean. Fact check me. The message that Jesus brought was always about the kingdom of God. That was his his sermon. He, He talked about the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is near. He said, we live in this kingdom while we pilgrim through this, this life, this world. But we don't live for this world. We're not of this world. If you were of this world, you would care about this world more than you, but you're not of this world. Your treasures are not here. They're in heaven. You know my treasures are in heaven? My family. My dad. Some people talk about heaven. is like, I just can't wait till that, that reunion of the family. I'm like, well... That's true, but I just want to see Jesus. I've been talking about him. I've been praying to him. I've been living my life. I just want to see him. I want to, like, hug him. You know, like, when my, 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 my seven-year-old, I come home from work, and my seven-year-old's waiting at the top of the stairs, and she's like, she's going to pee herself. She's, like, so excited, like a little dog. Like, you know, and then she just comes up my arm. That's how I'm going to be. I'll probably pee myself. When I see Jesus, man, I'm going to be so excited. I just want to hug him. I'm going to be so excited. Yeah, it's going to be great to see my family. Absolutely. I think of the next person that I see, he'll probably be standing right behind Jesus, my dad. But he's going to be like, no, we know who you're here for. We don't live for this world. For, for us, to, Paul said this, for me to live is Christ which means I live for Christ. To me, to live on this earth is my life pointed towards the things of Christ, sanctification, loving my brothers, doing the will of God. And to die is gain. We don't think enough about our own mortality because we are holding on so tightly to this world. When we start, it's, it's, it's a sacrifice. You have to think about it. What? What, when you start thinking about the next world, the world that we're living, we should be living for, it starts to prioritize what we're doing now, and that kind of bothers us. Okay? Paul has 
previously taught the Thessalonians about the resurrection. They're not ignorant about this. On the basis of this resurrection, our Christian hope has an objective reality. It's not fantasy. Not hyperbole. When we are informed about what is to come, we can live with confidence in the here and now. Just live. If you get persecuted, just keep living for Christ. Just continue on this process of sanctification because what's next is better than what you got now. You don't have to live for this. And I am so grateful for the blessings of God in the here and now. Please don't get me wrong. But what I am saying is that this is a... a pi- listen, listen. We talk about money so much. That's exactly why I think that God made the streets gold in heaven. Because he's like, guys, I want you to know just how stupid you are. Because the gold ain't no thing. It's in my boots. We think about weird things here when we focus on this life. Right? So, when we understand the next life is coming and it's better and it's something that we should be thinking about and, and planning for and, and living for the kingdom of God. We can live without fear. We can mourn with hope. We can have joy in the journey. We can suffer with confidence. We can serve with gladness. And we can live our lives with purpose. Doesn't that sound good? Let me read it again. We can live without fear. We can mourn with hope. We can have joy in the journey. We can suffer with confidence. We can serve with gladness. We can live our lives with purpose. Who does that sound like? Jesus. When you live the way Jesus lived, you live for the kingdom. I mean, look, Jesus lived without fear. He mourned with hope. Remember the Lazarus' tomb? He had, uh, had joy in the journey. He suffered with confidence. He served with gladness. And he lived with purpose. See, when we get this concept that we're not living for this life, when we know there's more to come, we can literally start conforming this life, or the way we live this life, into the image of Christ. That is exciting. This is a life that looks like a life of Jesus. So in light of what we know, let us confidently live to please the Lord. And I'm going to land this plane. You ready? In an affluent culture such as we had, such as the Thessalonians had, We distract ourselves. So we don't have to think about God, death, heaven, or hell. We are, this this generation of people is so proficient at distracting themselves. We just are. We really are. 
How many people, let me just be honest now, <laughs> have just started scrolling on one of their socials and then they looked up and it was dark outside. It's like, why, where, did the, where did the day go? My coffee's cold and I've been here for four hours. We're so good at distracting ourselves. All right? I encourage, I want you to encourage you right now. We're going to kind of settle this down to take a moment. Take a moment. Reflect on how you are living your life. Oof, Pastor, I haven't thought about, I haven't thought about that in a while. Just do, do it right now. Think about it for a second. How are you living your life? What does your walk with God look like? Here's the kicker. If you were to stand before God today, how would that go? I'm not talking, maybe I am, I'm not talking necessarily heaven or hell bound, but for those of you who are in Christ today, who've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, how would that meeting go? If you, listen, if you have not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to think about that. I mean, any one of us could get, walk out of this place and get hit by a bus. You don't know. I implore you to not be distracted to death. Because examining life's big questions requires sacrifice and selfishness, selflessness. So when's the last time you thought about eternity? Have you asked yourself, how am I doing in this life? Am I living for Christ? Like yesterday. With the, what I did yesterday, did it, was it living for the kingdom or was it just kind of living? <clears throat> was it purposeful? Was it pointed? Was it... Does your walk with the Lord reflect the fearlessness, hope, joy, confidence, gladness, and purpose of the one who uh, is destined for eternity with Christ? If you're destined for eternity with Christ, how is your life being lived? And here's the thing. If not, it's really healthy, folks. Ready? If not, why? Why? Pinpoint it. It's okay. Call it out. That's the first step towards repentance. Call out, I'm off. I'm off track. I'm off track. I need to get back on track. It's simple. It's, you know, we're so, af we're so afraid to pinpoint our sin because we feel guilty. When we pinpoint our sin, Jesus starts to celebrate because it's only then that you can get back, get back on track. We're like, oh, I don't want to think about it because I, uh. no, think about it. It's okay. Call it out. Call it out. If you are living your life with that expectation of the kingdom, what's your next step in sanctification? Don't settle for the status quo. What's next?
What's next? When he said, he said, he said to the uh, Thessalonian church, he said, you guys are doing great at this, but do it even more. You guys are doing great. You guys are great. But what's next? Do it more. That's sanctification. It's never being satisfied with last year's miracles. It's always pushing for what God has next for you. Can we just end this servant with a quiet prayer? Close your eyes, bow your head. Lord, I thank you so much that we have this letter that is so encouraging because it tells us, first off, that it's possible. It's possible to please you. Paul is so thrilled with how these people lived for you. We can do this. We've been given the Holy Spirit to empower us to do things we couldn't do naturally. And that's exciting. So Lord, in light of the coming kingdom, of eternity with you, Lord, help us to be real with where we are today. Are we living a life that's fearless, hopeful, joyful, confident, glad, and purposeful? Because we're not living for this life, we're living for the next. Men can kill the body, but they can't. They can't take away our eternal soul. They can't take away our heavenly rewards. They can't do that. So God, I pray that today would be a moment of reflection. Of being real with you. Of pinpointing areas in our lives that we need to turn around so that we can live to please the Lord. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters today that you would help them to live in the light of eternity so they can walk this path with confidence. We ask this all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. To learn more about New Life Church, check out our website at discovernewlife.org.